You top me off. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, man. I didn't realize you were going through your wine. I'm sitting here, like, waiting for the toast. Uh, that's good. Previously on Booze and Buffy. It's like a death match between Amy Adams, Jessica Chastain, and Ilsa Fisher. Who would win? Mm. I feel like you're the most qualified person to answer this question. You know, I, I think... I, I think Ilsa Fisher would be mm. the surprise winner. <laughs> like, I, I think she, no one would really take her seriously. Mm. And mm. she just starts, like, slitting throats. Like, <laughs> Angelus, like, goes and scoops out a fish, sits on Willow's bed, skewers the fish, goes and scoops out another fish. Humming Mandy all the while. <laughs> Techno Pagan Battle is the name of my Daft Punk cover band. Oh, all right. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Okay. I liked your Lana Del Rey one better, but yeah, that one was still that, solid. That was pretty good. Yeah. Welcome back to Booze and Buffy, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one by one. Although there will be spoilers for the episodes we are discussing, we will refrain from spoiling any future episodes. I'm Harrison, and I'm just about fucking done <laughs> with technology. And I'm Jason. I can still hold out for a little longer on technology. <laughs> Harrison, what episode are we watching today? Uh, we are watching season two, episode 18, Killed by Death. Uh, this is the one where Buffy has a monster flu and uh, spends her time in the hospital with a bunch of kids fighting off a Freddy Krueger looking motherfucker. And, uh, in fact, this episode was the inspiration for the Parks and Rec episode flu season. That's definitely true. Don't look it up. Ironically, uh, we apologize for anybody suffering from the uh, rampant coronavirus right now. We're sorry, but this is just the episode that came next. Yeah. Flu's going around. Uh, Killed by Death was written by Rob Dehotel, or Des Hotel, whichever you prefer. We don't know. And Dean Batali. And directed by Darren Serafian. Wow, this is a good week for names. (laughs) And originally aired on March 3rd, 1998. Excellent. And a little bit of, uh, uh, I guess, good news for us who don't know how to pronounce Rob's name. Uh, This was the last episode he wrote for the series. (laughs) So we're not going to embarrass ourselves much longer. Hooray! uh, With him. All right. Booze and Buffy. All right, Jason. What are we drinking this week? You've got the bottle. <laughs> uh, wow. So continue the trend of probably mispronouncing things. Uh, we're both drinking a glass of Monte Pulciano de Bruzio, de Bruzzo, uh, from Vintage 2018. <laughs> Uh, this is one of my uh, favorite three buck chucks from uh, Trader Joe's. Uh, it's good. Um, do you, shit, I don't remember who did our toast last week. Oh, Grace did our toast last week. Yeah. So I don't remember who did our toast the week before. How about you do the toast okay. this week? Oh, you did the toast the week before because it was after um, Neil Peart. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, here's to uh, Cousin Celia. We hardly knew ye. Here's to Tina, the little girl who dies in this episode backstory. We didn't know ye at all. And we're never going to talk about <laughs> you again. And here's to uh, Dr. Backer. We knew ye a little. <laughs> and here's to Drakinderstadt. Drakinderstadt. 
Oh yeah, so very, very good red wine. If I do say so myself. Um, this uh, what's, I'm Parks and Rec. Um, incidentally, the second flu season <laughs> episode where April's doing the like Somali training thing, and she's like, "This wine is a oak, oaky afterbirth, and like, <laughs> smells like your mother's butt." <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But. <laughs> no, actually, I, I like this wine a lot. It's really good. It's a good. It's some good table wine. Um, <laughs> good podcast and wine. So we start this episode off like we do many episodes in the graveyard. In the graveyard in a cemetery. So the graveyard is different. How so? Uh, a graveyard is um, connected to a church. Ah. I yeah. did not know. I actually did not know that at all. I learned that doing this podcast. I, I, I feel like that's something I should have learned by now, be like having grown up Catholic, but apparently not. Um, so Buffy's patrolling, and she uh, she's not well. She's like, I'm sick. <laughs> Boo, you whore. <laughs> um, Sandra, Willow, and Cordelia show up and basically try to convince her to go home. She's really sick. Um, but she's worried about Angel being out and about. And guess yeah, who appears? Who, uh, who could it be? Speak of the devil. <laughs> who could it be uh, now? He's not the devil. He's an angel. Us. Um, Angelus, you mean? <laughs> so, you know, this episode is interesting in that it, it, is, it feels unwilling to really want to address the Jenny calendar of it all but like it does get brought up though yeah um, and I actually looked this episode was uh, at some point this was going to be a season one episode and then at some point it was going to be like a pre-Angelus season two episode Um, so it It makes sense because all of the Angelus stuff has pretty much no bearing on the episode yeah it feels like it was maybe inserted after the fact. Yeah. Um, so, so it makes sense. Um, and, you know, this crisis, Buffy in the hospital, all of that does make it make it understandable that, you know, they really are, in the moment, have to focus on this. They can't really, they don't really have time to, um, to, to really grieve. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we do get some shout outs to Jenny. Um, and in this, First scene, even though it's not said, Buffy is really worried that another person could get killed if she's not out patrolling. So, yeah. <laughs> um, That's how it is. Angelus shows up. Just be that way. They uh, they fight. Um, oh, I think we should mention that Cordelia just starts off this episode really strong when they're trying to convince um, Cordelia, or Wilt Buffy, that she's sick. Um, Cordelia, well, she, she says like something about like I'm really concerned about how gross you look yeah. <laughs> no we're really concerned about how gross you look like it starts off like oh she's gonna say something nice nope it's an insult this is a particularly strong episode for Cordelia it is oh my gosh left and right with the zingers um, uh, yeah I, 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 I think I think she did a great job. Good mm-hmm. job, Cordelia. We're going to give you a medal. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure it goes with your outfit. That's of utmost importance. Um, so they, the Angelus fights Buffy, and um, she's weak. 
and it's um it's kind of an intense fight. I don't think we've ever seen Buffy losing a fight up to and, this point as badly as she is losing this one. But she's also being desperate because like as we established as she said at the end of the last episode she's ready now to kill him so she's got the stake out like fairly early yeah which something that annoys me a lot there are times when angel is like very focused on buffy and any one of the other scoobies could come up behind and stake angel and you mentioned like oh it's buffy's kill but like the out of universe reason yeah but like you gotta be rational and yeah it, 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 I don't know. It's like Iron Man having a clear headshot at Thanos in Avengers Endgame, like really early on in in the fight, like before, like when it's just the three Avengers versus Thanos. Iron Man has a clear headshot and does not take it. I'm like, do you realize how many people you could have saved? <laughs> God, God damn it, Iron Man! Um, I hope he dies at the end of this. <laughs> Um, the the Scoobies, despite not staking Angelus, do manage to drive him off. Um, and they got their crosses. Buffy, uh, Buffy collapses. Um, and they take her to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Cue opening credits. Yes. Um, I, I, I think about this episode a lot. Because just like, I mean, yeah, obviously they go through some shit, but I'm just like, I'm imagining me as a teenager, if one of my friends just like collapsed in front of me, like that's fucking scary. Like the closest I ever had to that sort of thing uh, as a teenager um, was uh, one of my friends was prone to seizures mm-hmm. and uh, in high school, he like, we were all sitting at lunch and he was saying like, oh, I need you to get a teacher right away. And like. Like, please just try not to look at me or whatever. But, Aww. like, we we held him down uh, while it was happening. And, uh, yeah, we were just worried about him. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's, 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 it can be a frightening thing. See, as a teenager, I was the, I was the one more likely to collapse. You're the sick one? Because I had a, um, uh, look, in my teen years, I had this condition called vasometer instability, um, which translates to basically, like, really low blood pressure sometimes. Where if I, so you know how sometimes like if you stand up really quickly, you like, mm-hmm. might like get a little dizzy. Yeah. Um, that would happen to me all the time. Wow. My heart would not recognize immediately that I went from like resting to active and so wouldn't adjust its, the uh, things we the find out about each other on these podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought it was completely normal. I, cause you know, people were like, oh, I stood up too fast and I got dizzy and I was like, Okay. I stand up too fast. This shouldn't be happening to you this frequently. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, so when, when I was 16, I, I, I got, my mom called me for dinner and I stood up and I was like, ooh, I'm kind of dizzy. And I like walked to the kitchen and I, like my vision just started like going, like a like literal tunnel vision. And um, I was like, oh, it's kind of worse than usual, but whatever, it'll pass. And I kind of leaned up in the doorway in the kitchen, like kind of and close my eyes and then the next thing I know my mom is like screaming and shaking me and I'm on the floor because I fucking passed out 
Um, and I went to the hospital and they were like, does this happen? I was like, oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> and then they're like, that's not a good thing. No, every, and like my mom and my dad and like the doctors and like, like, like everyone was like my mom and my stepdad, my dad and my stepmom were all there. The doctors, all of them were like, what do you mean this happens all the time? <laughs> and I was like, I thought it was normal. I just thought, you know, sometimes you get dizzy and they're like, whoa. You know, it's really weird. Um. Like, not just for, like, medical conditions and stuff, but, like, when you think that something is normal and then you find out later that it's, it's not. not normal. But also, when you think about some things about you are just, like, you think, oh, God, this is, like, only happening to me. And it's, like, I'm freaked out that somebody will find out. And then you realize, no, this happens to everybody. Like, everybody goes through this. I felt that way when I discovered how to masturbate. I was like, oh my god, I figured out this really cool thing that no one else knows about. <laughs> Guys, I've got this awesome secret to share with you. It'll change your life. Um, so, at the hospital, um, uh, Giles and Joyce uh, are, are called in, and um, we learn that Buffy really, really hates hospitals. She had a cousin uh, named Celia who died when uh, she was a child and Buffy was there when it happened. I wonder if that will be important. And Willow says the thing that everybody's thinking, like, uh, not used to seeing Buffy so scared. Yeah. Um, And uh, later Cordelia will say the thing that everyone's thinking, but only she has the courage to say. (laughs) But we'll get there. Um, And I, I actually... This is a cool episode, one that is oft forgotten, I especially think. by me. <laughs> but it's a cool episode because it it tackles like a genre of horror, a subgenre of horror that uh, you normally don't see in the show like this because normally you have like a lot of action, mm-hmm. but this one has like a slow, deliberate pace, and uh, it's mostly like a lot of the stuff happens where it's mostly just Buffy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just it's an atmosphere that doesn't come up a lot in the show. I think you know I, it's interesting you say that the show was obviously established as a horror show, mm-hmm. but I, I really think like pretty early on, kind of it doesn't abandon horror, but um, it it's it's not. I don't think of horror as Buffy's primary genre. Yeah. Um, even though I think that was the intention originally. I think of it more as like an, a coming of age action series. Yeah. But this is definitely a horror episode. Yeah. And um, the it's kind of like how in, it's kind of like how in last episode with a uh, um, impassion mm-hmm. when we remarked on how like the angel chasing Jenny Gin- Calendar was like one of the scariest moments, not just of Angelus' mm-hmm. appearances, but also kind of in the show. Yeah. Um, it's like, the show doesn't delve into horror that much, like, straight-up horror like yeah. that. And uh, it's it's always welcome when it's there. I famously don't like horror, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love horror. Yeah, I heard that, like, uh, the, after you saw The Ring, you were just not a fan of, fan of horror in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, we, in this scene, we, we get our next mention of Miss Calendar's death where Joyce, um, after Buffy's kind of like established, she's going to be staying in the hospital. Um, 
she Joyce is talking to Giles and basically says, I'm so sorry to hear about that teacher who was killed. And it's sad. Like, poor Giles. Yeah. That's all I have to say about yeah, that. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. Um, so, so we've got our setup. Buffy's in the hospital. She's very, very sick. Um, that night, there's this, a little boy just standing in her doorway like a fucking creep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we get our first shot of uh, Drakinderstad who uh, kind of, the child walks away, Drakendershad walks past her door, and then looks at her, and... I gotta say about the Drakendershad, this is, like, one of the, like, probably one of the scarier Buffy villains. I like, agree. I completely forgot about, like, that, like what happens when he actually gets a hold of somebody. It's and so I'm like, upsetting. Whoa! Damn! Like, no, literally, when, when Giles is talking earlier about, like, how he kills his victims, and he's like, it must be terrifying for, for the victim, when we see it later, I'm like, yes, yeah. imagine that's the last thing that you see before oh, you die. It's not a good thing. I'd rather have my life flash before my eyes. Not this. <laughs> not this. Um, the um, the music that plays here is, as I mentioned, the uh, uh, the disc menu music, <laughs> and that I became so familiar with growing up. I I literally that music makes me flash back to my parents' basement in my bedroom. Like waking up at four in the morning to hear that like it's <laughs> not a good impression of it, but she wakes up because she's like having like a one of her dreams. Um, she walks down the hall to the children's ward where she sees um, they uh, a child she finds out that a child had died in the ward, and uh, two of the doctors are arguing about um, the experimental treatment that Dr. Backer is performing on the children. Um, Every time I hear the name Dr. Backer, I think about Jurassic Park when uh, Tim is talking to Alan when they're getting into the cars at the beginning about all the dinosaur theories. And Mm -hmm. he's like, I heard this other theory by this guy named Backer. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that scene because like he's clearly trying to avoid being in the car with Tim. But like Lauren Dern's not having it. Yeah, it's like I want to see how you are with kids, so then you can put a baby in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, also, um, I noticed like there's a very strange like color palette when Buffy, like actually both times when Buffy leaves her room, it's like red. Yeah, it's like an all red hallway. But it totally it just made me think about how well hospitals work as backdrops for horror. Oh yeah, like. Okay, and it's it's just something that I don't really think about because um, admission here, uh, with a few exceptions, the only subgenre of horror that really scares me is like uh, um, like operation uh, sickness disease horror. Mm-hmm. I may have mentioned this before, uh, but that's like kind of what really gets me. So that's why I like because. In my mind, that's the most realistic yeah. thing. Like, um, eyes without a face. Somebody could kidnap you and try to cut your face off. Um, 
<laughs> to boil down that that horror masterpiece Such into like one word Such or one movie. one phrase, um, outbreak or uh, anything involving like a mass outbreak of like a mm-hmm. virus or something like that, those freak me out. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, like I mean, you think of like hospitals that have this eerie. Uh, like it has an eerie feeling to it. There's always something happening because it has to go like 24 hours a day. Uh, but also like, you know how it's clean, but it, it like, it has to be like a level of clean that you're not used to. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, Oh God, like anything could like just smash this color palette or whatever. Yeah. I also think it helps that hospitals are just inherently upsetting places. Yeah, because you don't go there if you're well. You yeah. go there if something's wrong. Right. So, yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with that. Horror uh, Hospitals make for great horror locations. Like um, Halloween 2. Yeah. <laughs> Look whole... at that. I made the Halloween reference first. <laughs> um, but that is like the whole... That movie's entire shtick is that it's set <laughs> in a hospital. You know Jamie Lee Curtis has like 10 minutes of screen time in that movie? It's, I don't think I've watched it since we had your horror movie yeah. marathon a long time ago. I Like, it was the old apartment on 4th Street. Oh, yeah. I was re... Yeah, Halloween 2 has not made it back into the, the month-a-thon since that first time I had it. But um, I was re-watching it recently because I've been, as you know, re-watching the, the Halloween franchise. Again. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I was watching the movie. I was like, oh my god, she's barely in this movie. Like... They, it's like it's spread you know her scenes are spread out over the entirety of the movie so you don't really notice it but she spends most of the movie like drugged in her hospital room until I, towards the end I feel like that can be considered for a lot of uh, a lot of horror movies because a lot of the times when you have like a main character of a movie in a horror film you want to like show the uh, you want to show obviously the antagonist if there mm-hmm. is one and you want to show that antagonist affecting other people yeah so you can see like the full range of like whatever their power is um, whether it's just like straight up killing you or terrorizing you or whatever um, I think that's apparent in a lot of movies especially the slashers on yeah that. well and you know slashers are gonna have a higher uh, a bigger ensemble because mm-hmm. you need more victims yep um, so the earlier parts of the movie are going to focus on the characters who get killed earlier on. Yep. So your protagonist, uh, your final girl, uh, if you may, uh, if you will, may not become apparent until later in the movie. Like in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I was just thinking of that. Um, Tina seems like she's going to be your protagonist until she's violently killed. Mm-hmm. And then, it, then it's like, oh no, we're following Nancy. Um, I, speaking of Tina, to bring us back into this episode, of course, the first victim of Dirk Kinderstad in this episode is Tina. And I've always found this episode, I mentioned it in our intro, reminiscent, the Dirk Kinderstad reminds me of Freddy Krueger. Um, he, he's even got the hat. He's even got the hat. And he, you know, his MO isn't the same, obviously. He's not killing you in your dreams. But he does he, target like younger people. He targets children. The adults can't see him. So uh, I, I've always just been like, you. I, I wonder if this was a deliberate, and then yeah, a deliberate Nightmare on Elm Street reference. And then of course your first victim's name is Tina. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm Harrison Kaufman, and I'm just saying. <laughs> 
Um, so this is when she meets the children and they're creepy as shit and they're like, death, it mostly comes at night. Mostly. <laughs> I made that reference, by the way, when we were watching. You did. For, for some reason, like, I'm the one who's jumping on all of Harrison's favorite movie franchises right now. That's all right by me. Um, so basically, Buffy learns that there's something attacking the children. Um, they call it death. And the, um, the, the grown-ups can't, uh, can't see it. So we've definitely also got a bit of a, like, a boogeyman kind of, um idea mm-hmm. just wrap it back around to halloween there you go he was the boogeyman um so uh earlier in the episode they had um established that the scoobies were going to um stand guard at the hospital because like the hospital is a public place mm-hmm. which means angelus can walk in easily yep which he does yeah, and Xander stands up to him, and we are loath to do it. Yeah, but... I hate saying this, but that's like actually a pretty good scene with Xander. Like, I'm like, wow, I can't believe a scene has come where I choose Xander over Angel, even <laughs> even like evil and jealous. Although earlier in the episode, when we uh, when in the graveyard or the cemetery when he attacks Cordelia, Jason and I both while watching went, no, no, take Xander. Xander <laughs> Not Cordelia! But yeah, um, like, uh, Xander's clearly, like, kind of outmatched mm-hmm. always against Angel, but the fact that, like, he kind of stands his ground, he does make a, um, he does make a comment, like, you're gonna die and I'm going to be mm-hmm. there, and, uh, hearing that makes something that happens a little later on in this season a lot more apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, they, um, I also just think Xander standing up to him, I mean, it's badass, but he's also, he does it smartly. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you might kill me, but he's like, but also, do you really think you could get through all of the, like, the, the doctors and orderlies and security and, yeah. Like, like, yeah, you could get through me, but, um, I don't know, Angel's <laughs> pretty vicious, like. Oh, yeah, and, and, and also, like, he says, oh, you're still in love with her. It must kill you to know that I got to her first. Uh, I'm like, damn, there's, there's like, there's Angelus right there, just in a nutshell. It's pretty gross. The next day they come, the, the gang comes to visit her and, um, Buffy's feeling better. She's feeling better. She tells them about what happened the night before. Cordelia, (laughs) she has, um, one of my favorite lines, which I'm now. This is quote. like n- no, but first, like she she has the drawing that uh, one of the kids did. Yes, and uh, of um, the monster, and she gives it to Giles, and Giles is like, "Oh, is this your own work?" And uh, <laughs> this is awful for an adult. <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> which, um, d- this needs to be like he says it because, oh, if Buffy sees it, then I can like. Then I can get behind what she's saying, but like she's one of the kids drew it, yeah. And so he immediately kind of like starts to cast a little bit of doubt, and then Cordelia says what everybody's thinking. She says, "So this isn't just you being afraid of hospitals because your friend died, and you want to conjure up a monster that you can fight so you can save everybody and not feel so helpless." And Child says, "Cordelia, have you ever actually heard of tact?" And Cordelia says, 
Tact is just not saying true stuff. I'll pass. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> she had a Harrison moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's great though because honestly, I I actually would have. There's a part of me that does actually want to see the episode, the the alternate version of this episode where there is no monster, where it is what Cordelia is saying is actually accurate. Why don't you like, wait until season six? Uh, well, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um, we also we didn't mention everyone except Cordelia brought uh, Buffy a gift uh, in the <laughs> hospital. Cordelia uh, Willow in particular brings her Buffy's completed homework. Um, which she says right in front of Giles like oh I did all the homework for you you just sign your name like oh my god really? (laughs) Willa don't give a shit she's like see these rules? fuck them Willa's a troublemaker (laughs) Um, but uh, Cordelia's upset because no one told her they were supposed to bring gifts and Giles says it's customary amongst people (laughs) (laughs) you know I never really felt like the kind of um, ire that uh, that Giles has towards Cordelia as much as I did in this episode. <laughs> we don't we don't get to see them interact a lot. It's like normally Giles is too busy being annoyed by Xander, <laughs> which um, who can blame him? Oh my gosh, it's so great. Um, so they they decide they're gonna look into it. Um, Buffy wants is gonna stay at the hospital. Um, they Willow finds some information on Doctor Backer that um, he's done a lot of uh, experimental treatments, uh, a lot of malpractice suits against him, and uh, Giles posits that perhaps the monster uh, is is Doctor Backer. Mm-hmm. That there is no supernatural monster; it's just this man, um, and the children have kind of. Made him into a boogeyman. I, I feel like all of these alternatives are a little more, probably a little more interesting than what actually happens. I think so too. But the thing is, is like if you've watched Buffy this long, you know that like, oh, it's got to be supernatural. Yeah. Um. And well, and of course, Giles's like theory is disproven immediately when mm-hmm. Doctor Backer is horribly murdered <laughs> by an invisible being this is a cool sequence um that poor kid though because like yeah, it, the kid seems like pretty like at the end of the episode they're they're like oh he's fine but like no that kid's got like because this guy is getting killed on top of the kid yeah um i also just really love the effect of um Kinderstad like dragging the body and you just see like his hands being lifted above his head um, it's just, it's cool. It's, it's a, um, it's a, it's a cool thing. Um, so the next morning Buffy lets everyone know, like, well, he's not on our suspects list anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, Choice comes in and she's like, hey, you can go home. And Buffy's like, I don't want to go home. <laughs> Got a monster to fight. I... This is just one of those things where it's like, I just have to put aside my, you know, real life for a minute. But I'm like, that is expensive. Joyce must have, like, the best health insurance from the gallery. Um, And she, like, agrees to it pretty quickly. You know what it is, though? She's... 
Buffy's been out of the house for a couple days. She can have some friends over. She doesn't have to go to the gallery to do body shots. <laughs> my headcanon, my, my serious headcanon for this was that, like, uh, Joyce does mention in the episode that Buffy's never sick. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like, she's obviously a concerned parent. Yeah. Um, so Good mom. It, yeah. If Buffy says that, like, she wants to stay another night, then she'll yeah. be like, oh, well, then you're staying another night. Yeah. Also, it's established how much Buffy hates the hospital. Yeah. So, so she's saying, no, I need to stay. Mm-hmm. Like, she, she must need to. Um, that's also something um, I don't. we didn't really address. It's kind of theorized that part of the reason Buffy is getting sick is because the and the stress of Angelus um, and particularly the stress of Angelus murdering Jenny is just really getting to her um, and normally Buffy doesn't get sick I mean she's a superhero Joyce does say that uh, Buffy's been feeling really down since yeah. since that happened yeah so I think I think we are to at least I've always interpreted it as that, yes, it is unusual for Buffy to be sick because she has, you know, mystical supernatural powers. Um, so that really just gets us into her headspace, like how much this is weighing on her, that it is literally making her ill. Um, which, that's bleak. Um, what? A Joss Whedon show bleak? <laughs> no. Um, so, they, um, Giles and Cordelia head back to the library to do some research in maybe my favorite scene of the episode. <laughs> um, we get Cordelia's like, well, what's this demon do? So, so before that, um, like uh, Giles is saying like, oh, I need to go back to the library. Um, and, and Xander's like, oh, I'm pulling sentry duty. Like Cordy should go with you to the, um, to the library. And, and Giles, what does Giles say? Like, oh, why do I have to go with... Or no, or does he say, why am I stuck with... Yeah, why am I stuck <laughs> <laughs> Which Cordelia definitely notices. Oh yeah, she says, like, nice job, Mr. Tact. <laughs> it's so good. Um, they, um... Uh, you know, we skipped over it, but at some point, um, Cordelia and Xander, like, are investigating around the hospital. Um... And we yeah, really because this is while um, this is when uh, Willow and Giles are researching Doctor Backer. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk to a security guard, who's they're they're trying to pull up like medical files or yeah. whatever in the hospital, um, like the hard copies. Cord- they get and they nearly get caught, but Cordelia like smooth flirts her way. She flirts her way she out of there. Um, and. It's something we've really not discussed. It's not a huge part of the episode, but um, there is this minor subplot between Cordelia and Xander where Cordelia in particular is kind of jealous about Xander's obvious attraction to um, to Buffy. And um, she has this great line... Uh, where he's Xander's like, I have to watch her back. And she's like, oh, I've seen you watch her back. And he's like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you, I was using the phrase watch her back as a euphemism for looking at her butt. And then she goes, it's kind of a pun. And I'm like, well, it's, it's not. But <laughs> <laughs> your, your point was solid until you said that. Um, I just think it's, it's just an interesting tack this episode takes. But they seem to 
come to an okay place between the two of them. Yeah, like she brings she brings donuts and coffee yeah. to Xander. And I, I made the comment while we were watching the episode that uh, some I think like I just forget sometimes about how how good of a couple they actually are. Actually, yeah. They've definitely got issues. But um yeah, I think, but it seems like it, it, it seems like uh, what originally like associate was just them uh, hate fucking without the fucking <laughs> um, has evolved into like an actual genuinely sweet relationship. Yeah, they have sincere affection for one another, um, and it's it's good to see. And also, you know, this relationship has. It's been a great avenue for Cordelia to go through some character growth. Yeah. You know, we are obviously bewitched, fathered, and bewildered. Mm-hmm. Showcased that a lot in that final scene where she rejects the Cordettes. But, um, yeah, like you said, we see her bring him donuts and coffee. Like, she goes and does research with Giles. Um, she expresses concern for how gross Buffy looks. Yeah. <laughs> um... She also really, really thinks that uh, Buffy should, while she's in the hospital, have something done about that thing on her face. You know. You know the one. Yeah. You must have noticed it. (laughs) The, uh... Also, um... uh, On a slightly related note, uh, early on in the episode, I don't know why, but it just, like, made the observation, like, wow, you know, I really like Sarah Michelle Gellar's nose. It's just, like, (laughs) it's just kind of perfect on her face. And then, like, uh, Cordelia was talking about her friend getting a nose job <laughs> at the hospital and, like, coming out with a not-great nose job. Oh, what'd she say? It's like she went in for the, the Gwyneth. She, she went in to get the Gwyneth and came out with the Mr. Potato Head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Gwyneth Paltrow and Mr. Potato Head have very different noses. That must have been a massive fuck-up on the part of the surgeon. I will say, though, if I could choose between knowing one of those people, I'd rather know Mr. Potato Head, because Gwyneth Paltrow, I don't I don't really like her that much. You know? I don't like the, the fish oil that she peddles. You are the snake oil? Yeah, snake oil. <laughs> fish oil's a real thing. So, I agree with you, but I'm also fascinated by her. Like, I don't think I'd want to be her friend, but I do want to, like, lock her in a room and study her. You know what I mean? <laughs> Ooh, choose your wording a little better, sir. No, like, for science. It's <laughs> okay, I'm just going to abduct and imprison her for science. For science. Yeah, that's that. That's the plot of the human centipede. <laughs> Fine, you caught me. I want a human centipede with Paltrow. Who would the other two be? Hmm... And we're just going to confine it to two and not like those later installments that have like 12 and 100 people have on it. Have you seen any of them? No, but so... Okay, because like, I've I seen the I've seen the South Park episode where they make fun of it and that honestly made me sick enough to never like try to watch it. Okay. I have read the plot summaries on Wikipedia and that's enough to gross me out. Especially the second one. Because at least apparently in the first one a lot of like the actual gore and stuff is covered up. Mm-hmm. In the second one, not so much. So, who would my other two be? I think Mitch McConnell and... No, but see, that just seems mean to Gwyneth. 
I mean, she's well, not that, Gwyneth could she's be not like that bad. Gwyneth could be the first person, and Mitch McConnell could be like the middle person because the middle person is like the worst person to be. Yeah, in, in the human centipede. No, no, like no, because I that's know, I know, I know. <laughs> How did we get here? <laughs> How did it come to this? <laughs> this is what happens when Gwyneth Paltrow is involved in something; it just turns into a human centipede. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I, I will. Uh, listeners, if you if you have any ideas of who should be the third in our Gwyneth Mitch centipede, let us know. Our <laughs> Gwyneth Pede. <laughs> um. So where were we? <laughs> <laughs> Um, we were talking oh, about Cordelia the and Giles. Oh, Cordelia yeah. and Giles are doing research. And Cordelia's just like, what's this demon do? And he tells her, and she's like, gross. What's this demon do? Yuck. What's this demon do? And finally Giles is just like, it asks endless questions of those who it's supposed to be working for and ensuring nothing gets done. And Cordelia's like, man, there's a demon for everything. <laughs> Bravo, Charisma Carpenter. You're just amazing. She kills it. It is so funny. Like, and then when she... They, they, um, it's weird because she's like, well, he's not in this book. And then she closes it and he's on the cover. So it feels like one. She should have noticed that when she picked up the book. Um, that, is the, um, that is the trope that I... Oh gosh, sometimes it just wears on me when I watch Buffy, but the fact that like at the most convenient time, that's when you find the the picture in the book, the entry that you need yeah. to set the plan into motion. Uh, and it happens on Buffy a lot. It definitely does. Yeah. It's um and it's, you know, it's understandable. You have a finite amount of time to tell these stories. So, we can't spend you know, 20 minutes on research. Yeah. But but you're right. Sometimes it's a little convenient. Um, but then we get this great scene where Cordelia calls Buffy. And she's like, we found your guy. And Buffy's like, who is Who this? is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Um, Seriously, though, uh, Charisma Carpenter Cordelia is the... <sighs> MVP of this episode. Absolutely, she is. Um, and then when she's like looking at the picture, she's like, ew, <laughs> ew, <laughs> ew. And Buffy's like, what? And she's like, I don't know why you let me, you, I let you drag me into this. <laughs> um, it's just so good. But this is where we learn that um, Drakindastad is the name of the monster. It means, what, what did they say it meant? It's, um, I don't know, it's German, so it's, I should know what it means. Something about children. It's child death or something. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense. Uh, kinder means child. Yeah. Um, well, death is normally like a todes or something. Or toda. Let's see what the... Uh, Buffy Wiki has to say. <laughs> we haven't quoted it yet, have we? So, no, you know, the Buffy Wiki has been normal this week. Wow. We'll see. We're not just... <laughs> um, so it means... Uh, it, according to the show, it means child death. Um... Um, oh, okay, so this is interesting. Um, in German, the phrase, uh, and I apologize to our German listeners. Uh, Do you want me to read it? Because, yeah. 
I I know a little. It's where the 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 mouse is. Plötzlicker. Plötzlicker Kinderstod. Which means uh, is sudden infant death syndrome. So so okay so there is. See there you go toad. I said it. There is. I know German um, guys. <laughs> there is a um, you know we we got our research done this week. Uh, uh, unlike. Our uh, Diana, goddess of love, <laughs> which bothered and bewildered, um, and he feeds the uh, the life force of uh, feeds off of children uh, by sucking the life out of them, which they are like, yeah, a children's ward at a hospital. Uh, what sweet, a sweet life! What a perfect. Uh, I think Buffy refers to it as an all you can eat buffet, and um, and apparently yeah, that that sounds like I think Willow might have said that. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Um, and they determined that Dr. Backer's experimental treatments were actually working. Um, the children were getting better. And which is why... And gone home, which is why Drakindrasad kills him. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they also, while she's getting this information, Buffy flashes back to her cousin. And we learn that... Um, and Buffy learns and we learn that she her cousin was killed by the same demon or the same type of demon um so I, I made a I made an observation during the episode mm-hmm. uh we kind of glazed yeah, over it we haven't talked but to uh it. like one of the flashbacks that Buffy has is like when she was playing with her cousin and uh Buffy's like a power girl yeah um which is an actual comic book character believe it or not oh uh, really I didn't yeah know uh DC comics character it's a uh, it's a um, alternate universe version of Supergirl. Okay, I see. I just googled her. Yeah. Um, oh wow, she is busty. Well, so <laughs> the thing is, is like uh, they normally. Uh, I can't remember the exact circumstances of it, but uh, the writers wanted to see like how much they could get away with. So like every single issue that she was in, her bust size would increase. Oh my god. Yeah. That's absurd no it, it truly is and it's like it, it really um neither here nor there so uh, do you think that um uh that buffy calling herself power girl is a deliberate reference to this character or or do you think it's just like this is what it's a more, seven-year-old girl yeah, it would seems, call it her it seems like more of a generic thing because yeah. they, they there isn't like much association uh besides the name Mm -hmm. but uh it's interesting because we see this in we see her like wanting to be a superhero save her Mm -hmm. cousin and this is not something we would expect of buffy because she's like her tone her typical teenage tone is basically been the reluctant hero yeah but uh we We see here that her heroism despite the reluctance is an inherent part of who she is. Yeah. yeah, and going all the way back to what's my line um, with uh, Kendra, like pointing out how she sees the Slayer, she sees being the Slayer as a job, mm-hmm. and yeah, she sees it as a job, but she also sees it as a job that she has to do. Yeah, like she could, like she can't really walk away from it, but if she wanted to, she could just stop, like, um, or she could try to stop, but she never tries to stop. Yeah. We love her. Our girl. Our girl. Um, wh- what's your thoughts on this 
outside of of that important you know depth uh, dive into Buffy's characterization what is your what are your thoughts on this cousin Celia subplot it I mean it it obviously only exists in this episode mm-hmm. um, and it, it seems like a little interesting thing sort of just to add in there because it seems more like just a way to like emphasize Buffy's reluctance to be in hospitals mm-hmm. and uh, it's one of the few times when we see like a a Buffy like a Summers family member reference yeah. that isn't like her mom or her dad yeah and or her obviously and uh what <laughs> nothing i almost i almost made a reference it, it's a little bit of, <laughs> it's a little bit of a throwaway yeah almost it i i don't mind it up until the reveal that her cousin was killed by this same demon i killed that, by death uh, that to me feels like too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I I like the characterization against Buffy. Like you said, it um, shows why she's so... She isn't, doesn't, you know, is afraid of the hospital. I... This, this reveal that her cousin... It almost feels like the episode is like, oh, well, now she has to kill the demon because the demon killed her cousin. And I'm like, but Buffy... Like, Buffy doesn't need motivation yeah, I to kill evil things. Yeah, there's... There's there's another thing, uh, there's another like a uh, TV or movie uh, that pops into my mind that I can't I can't like think of it, but I just remember something similar. It's like oh it was it was him all along, and it kind of like seemed a little unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I'm like, did it really need to be him all along? Yeah. Or... Um, I guess you could you could make the argument um, to see the other side. That it ties in thematically with um, with with Angelus and with Jenny's death. Um, her cousin was someone she couldn't save. I think it's a bit of a stretch. I think it's a bit of a stretch, yeah. but um, I, I guess you you could make that argument. But I I don't I don't like it. I I think it's. And also, just to me, I'm like I have a hard time. I, yeah, it. I, I really don't want to say contrived, it's but contrived. yeah, it's contrived. <laughs> um, it doesn't for me. It doesn't really add anything. Yeah. Um, they. Um, all right, I found our weird wiki. Right. Um, the two head to Doctor Backer's office in search of answers. They find out that Doctor Backer was giving the children. Uh, injections of the disease they already have in order to inoculate them and then this is just one sentence on its own dr backer was trying to do good after all (laughs) all right thank you wiki (laughs) yeah uh buffy and willow uh they come to the conclusion they're like oh the only reason that i saw him was because i was sick Mm -hmm. so they try to get like a sample of the uh of like the disease to like get her sick so that she has her fever and uh is trying to uh and so that she'll like be able to see mm-hmm. see them so I, I have a question for you uh-huh. so in the scene buffy's about to like just drink straight from the vial and willow's like no don't do that it's 100 percent virus you'll die instantly um 
So Willow dilutes the disease in some water so Buffy can drink it safely. As a scientist, <laughs> and I know this isn't necessarily right in what you do. It's but... a little close. It's actually oh, okay. like more than you think okay. because like I currently deal with like stuff that is like used in medical purposes and does okay. get diluted. How realistic, accurate is what we just um, So the thing is, is like if she drank it, then it would have to go through the digestive system where, of course, in your stomach, there's hydrochloric acid, which um, would, I feel like, would really tear down a lot of whatever she was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, it would be, it would have been a lot more effective had it been injected it straight into, like, the bloodstream. Gotcha. So, I feel like it would have taken a lot longer for that thing to take effect mm-hmm. if it would have taken an effect at all. Okay. Um but yeah, like uh, it's it it is spotty science at the okay. most. Like I've I've never known anybody to like straight up just drink something, uh, just drink a sample of a disease. Uh, but yeah, like it's okay. Uh, it's right to raise a question mark there. But listen, they're on a hell mouth, so yeah. <laughs> that's gonna be my just any time. It's like, well, that doesn't make sense. I'm gonna be like, listen, hell mouth. So the. Uh, so Buff, so Buffy and uh, Willow and Buffy is like this disease is immediately taking effect. Yeah, so um, fast. But yeah, uh, they run to the ch- to the children's ward where uh, the um, the kids aren't there, mm-hmm. uh, and it's because they're smart kids and they like go to the basement. I mean, granted, there there could have been <laughs> other ways they could have gone, but they did know to like get out of there. I love that. I love the scene because it pl- the show plays it a little bit like, oh my god, where are the kids? Did they? Are they too late? Are all the kids dead? Um, and I love that the I love the shot of the kids running down this like hallway. And Ryan, who's like our lead kid, is just like, come on, we gotta get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, which is interesting because like they they barely focused on the kids. Yeah, I actually wish the episode had more focus on the kids. I. Um, I, I I almost kind of would have liked to have seen this, like, uh, I, I don't know, for some reason the, the Disney show Recess is what's coming to mind, but just, like, this, like, group of kids, and, like, Ryan's, like, their leader, and they have to, He's like... He's the TJ. Be, like, um, and the adults aren't doing jack shit to help them, so they're, like, we've got to take matters into our own hands. Um, so I know we've... <laughs> That's right, I still know that recess song. So we have posited several different versions of this episode. Here's my new version. It's a, it's a Buffy Light episode. And, you know, like our Doctor Light episode, where it focuses on the kids and Buffy's I'm, like... In I'm the down. Program. Wouldn't that have been kind of cool? But it's not what we got. We do get a little <laughs> bit of a Buffy Light episode in a uh, in season three with uh, that character who's a vampire. The Wish, I believe, is what it's called. Ah, it's kind of Buffy Light. Yeah, no, Chris, the Witch bothered and bewildered with Buffy Light. Yeah, <laughs> SNL. <laughs> so um, they um, the. Buffy's doctor, who I'm learning from the uh, the the uh, wiki, is named Doctor Wilkinson. Okay, I don't know if that I ever caught that while we were watching the episode. Um, she finds them, Buffy and Willow, 
and it's basically like, Buffy, you need to get back to your fucking bed. And at no point is like, and you need to fucking leave, Willow. Cause like, <laughs> but whatever. Um, so they run. Yeah, well, first Buffy like, fucking like, knocks her down. Yeah, <laughs> they, they run. She calls security, and the guards stop them in the hall, but they don't know which girl they need to get. So Willow just immediately... Fucking worthless security guards. One Will- clearly in a hospital gown. Whatever. Willow... Willow is, uh, well, no, she wasn't in a hospital gown. She was in, like, a sweats and a t-shirt. You're right, you're right. Uh, the, uh, Willow, like, just starts saying, Frogs! Frogs! They're all over me! So, like, the guards go after her. Buffy runs away, and the doctor shows up. Dr. Wilkinson shows up and just says, like, No, not her! <laughs> Fucking moron. And, and Willow's just like, There were frogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good Willow moment. Honestly, all of the cast has... Is, <laughs> yeah, it's that. a lot of good cast moments mm-hmm. that are spent on, on like, uh, and I'll get to like my rating at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. But like, this is I, I, I've watched and remember why it's kind of forgettable, as interesting as it is. Um, yeah, as interesting as it is, uh, yeah. there, there's a reason that like in the whole Angelus arc, this might be the last episode that you think of. Yeah. Um, so Buffy works her way through the hospital she runs into Xander they go down to the basement um they they the kids are down there hiding but Dr. Kindestad finds them and now we get to talk so about what happens horrifying. when he gets you oh my god it's uh... so he pins you down looks dead at you and then his eyes open up and these little like suckers come oh. out of his eyes and like go on your face, and I just remember thinking like, God damn, it's so it's, it's legitimately gross, scary, and like and and like it's and it's worse because like, it's like a kid that this yeah. is happening to, and yeah, I, I already said this, but like, fuck, if that was the last thing I ever saw, oh, that's horrifying, and good job to like. Like, we've talked about how Buffy has a limited effects budget, but, like, good looks, job using looks, the most of it. It looks good. Yeah, it, um, like, I mean, he already looked horrifying just, like, in his actual normal appearance. And I like the fact that, like, he doesn't say anything. No and that you only see him, like, a little bit in the episode due to his, like, being invisible. Yeah. Like, it, it's very effective. Um, luckily, Buffy shows up in time. Uh, and... Um, you know, unlike her Miss Calendar, <laughs> but uh, but like Miss Calendar snaps that thing's neck. <laughs> um, and it's just Xander has a great line here where he's like, "Is it dead? I heard something snap." <laughs> and she's like, "That was that his, neck. his neck." <laughs> um, Buffy has a quip before she attacks the Dirkinderstad, which is, um, "You make me sick. You make me sick." It's not one of my favorite Buffy quips. It's a, uh, it's a little cheesy, but you know what? She's been ill. Yeah, she's not. At she's off her game. <laughs> um, so this episode ends with Buffy at home in bed. Sandra and Willow are there, and for a long time, I don't know why. Literally until we watched it this time, I always thought that this bit at the end was that Willow and Xander were sick as well. That no, I honestly kind of had that feeling too. 
but like they're not under the covers. Yeah. Had they all been under the covers and like, oh yeah, maybe this is like some like fucking nineteen thirties cartoon where like all the kids are in one bed. <laughs> um so apparently they're just there. Um Joyce comes in, brings Buffy her peanut butter and jelly with the crust cut off just like she likes, and her the... favorite drink, which is uh two parts orange juice. Yes, one part grapefruit juice. Yes. Yeah. Um, I love how Bobby's like, that's my drink. <laughs> um, yeah, we know you so well for that. <laughs> and then and Bobby's like, um, I want a crunchy peanut butter and extra jelly, so uh, could you fucking fix this? And then Willow asks for another Coke because she's so comfy. <laughs> and Xander asks for more uh, cheesy chips. Yeah, and- <laughs> And Joyce is like, oh, we're all out. And he's like, no, you're not. There's one, there's a bag hiding behind the raisins. I'm like, <laughs> all right, Xander, you were having such a good episode. Oh but you know what? This gets a chat alert. I'm not going to, I'm not even going to hide it. It gets a chat alert because that is like a shitty it's thing to do. So shitty. You are taking advantage of Joyce's hospitality. It's so funny though. I cannot, the look on Joyce's face when he says that, she's just like, We've seen that look on Giles' face so many times. And I do, uh, it is shitty, but Xander's line, and particularly uh, Nicholas Brendan's delivery of, Mom's trying to bogart the cheesy chips. What's that about? (laughs) It's really funny. But then then Buffy gets a letter. (laughs) And it's from Ryan, or was it Ryan? Ryan, yeah. Yeah, it's from Ryan, the lead kid. And uh, she's like, oh... He made you a drawing and you think like oh this is gonna be like so sweet but no it's Buffy standing over like the bloody corpse of the monster and nobody questions it that's how the episode ends um and here's the thing there was no blood she snapped its neck so this kid just decided to he add embellished. he embellished <laughs> it is it's so funny it's it's, a, it's such a great way to end this episode. Yeah, I think this episode draws a lot more humor than it was planning on. Uh, maybe it's just because, like, even though it does try to be a little more horror-oriented, mm-hmm. uh, the humor is what comes across the most, yeah. like, the most effectively. I, I think the... So, I mean, we're, we're talking about it, so let's talk about it. Um, the horror elements of this episode... And the humor, um, I think, are the most effective bits. Yeah. I think it's the story where we... Yeah. It falls apart a bit. Um, yeah, the connections are kind of tenuous at best. Yeah. And it, it feels like this episode is really reluctant to deal with the emotional fallout from what happened last week. We get lip service to it, but they are... They're just moments here and there. You yeah, know? at this point, I don't think we really tackle it until the season finale. Not quite. But I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, until I stop recording. And right. <laughs> um, yeah, so and this episode reminds me of Phases, in a way. of It is an episode that comes directly after a huge, you know, emotionally wrecking, game-changing, plot-heavy, myth-arc episode standalone but where phases succeeds is that even even though it's telling a low stakes monster of the week story 
it's focusing it focuses on the Willow and Oz relationship, which is something the audience is yeah. invested in, or at least I've invested in. Um, this episode does not doesn't it's a mm-hmm. monster of the week and as i said it was a monster of the week that was planned as a season one early season two episode and i think that shows a bit yeah um it's kind of forgettable but i think it is elevated by these moments of humor that are yeah, really and, good. and again charisma carpenter oh my god mvp and then um these little character beats that we get throughout the episode that are really strong and a really fucking cool monster design like when i think of this episode i think that is the one where the monster is so fucking creepy and scary i think dirk kinderstad is probably the creepiest monster of the week just in terms of design that we will get until season season four four. (laughs) i knew immediately what you were thinking of (laughs) so um and those fucking eyes (laughs) awful um, so, um, for me, I'm going to give this episode a, I think a two and a half out of five eye tentacles. I was going to say a two and a half out of five Krispy Kreme donuts. Very good. I'm, I'm kind of just like craving some donuts right I now. I know, that actually sounds great. <laughs> like those, those fresh ones that are warm. Oh God. <laughs> Um, this episode brought to you by Krispy Kreme Donuts. Oh, sorry, I just forgot. Um, one reference we didn't uh, we didn't mention, but it's a really fun reference when Puffy tells them that the kids call the monster death. Xander says, "If he asks you to play chess, don't do it." Guy's a whiz, <laughs> which is a reference to the Seventh Seal, which I don't think Xander has seen. Because like, but I think like it's just a prominent picture in pop culture of like yeah. playing chess with death. He definitely has picked that up through pop culture osmosis rather than having actually yeah. seen the film. And honestly, in fairness, like, I've not seen that film. So I have. Um, it's actually pretty cool, but pretty weird. Yeah, um, that is like so a, that a is one of two Ingmar film. Bergman, Ingmar Bergman films that I've seen. So I sorry, I John will get mad at me if I don't correct you. It's a Bergman. Ingmar Bergman. I mean, he does know Swedish. My, so. husband, my husband's Swedish, and he loves to talk about it. He's <laughs> probably so sitting in the living room right now being like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, The Seventh Seal is a very cool movie. Uh, definitely check it out. What's the other of his films that you have seen? It's called Summer with Monica. Okay. It's kind of like... Um, it's it's a little bit of like the uh, the pangs of growing up and uh, why you can't stay a kid forever. Uh, it, it was like uh, back when Hulu had the Criterion Collection on it. Um, I was that was like the first one that I ever saw, and I remember liking it. Um, and uh, I actually ended up buying the Seven Seal on blue on the Criterion Blu-ray because you know it's just kind of like one of those movies that's not only like prevalent in. Swedish film, but also just in film in general. Yeah. I mean, so, Bergman gets a lot of a lot of praise, and that's kind of like his signature one, I think. Yeah. So I've seen, I've also seen two of his films, um, and I was curious if we had overlap. We don't. Um, the two I have seen are Hour of the Wolf and um, Fanny and Alexander. 
Yeah, like, I'm assuming you've seen, like, the movie version and not the TV version. I've, yeah, I've seen the movie also, version. Also, like, uh, Bergman is, like, one of the only directors who has, like, a box set of their complete works oh, released really? by Criterion. That must be huge. Um, yeah, I think it's, like, I think it costs, like, maybe $200. Because um, uh, you have, like, um, directors with their, bo- like... There were like Criterion releases uh, stuff in box sets like the Before Trilogy by Richard Linklater, um, Guillermo del Toro, his trilogy. But I think like he has other movies in addition to like yeah. the three that he's known for. Um, I guess four now with uh, Shape of Water. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like that's like that, and I think they may have done a box for Kir- for Kurosawa. But I really do think that like it's a complete Bergman collection. That's really cool. I have to look that up. Um, so, uh, on the subject of Hour of the Wolf, uh, so I have that book that's 101. By the way, we sound like total film snobs right now. <laughs> but we are. So, um, I have that book that's 101 horror movies, like, you have to watch before you die. It's one of the offshoots of the yep. 1001 movies. Um, and one of theirs, and theirs was Hour of the Wolf. So, every year, I do, audience, if you care, um, I do, in October, a horror movie... Um, Monthathon. I've been doing it for. Was this the sixth year? Oh man, don't ask me. I think it was. I'll have to look at the Facebook uh, event because I always, I always put the year in. Um, I'm pretty sure this was the sixth year, but I do. I create a schedule. I usually start creating my schedule around August, but I literally the other day I was like, should I start creating it now in January? (laughs) No, Um, like the the prep. And and uh, imports that he gives this is it's, it's impressive. It's my, one of my favorite things to do. I just honestly the prep of it is so fun. I just yeah. Get to, I and, and, make and, a list. No, he sticks to that schedule um, more or less. More or less, life the, happens. Yeah, but the because uh, like you know when October comes around, you're like, oh, I want to watch like a couple scary movies for Halloween. No, like this guy goes all in. I so last year, yes, last year was the fifth. Um, so this year was the sixth and for the fifth was my, the most movies, which I think came to 46 over the course of the month. So I do, I watch, I I make a schedule of horror movies that I'm going to watch over the course of the month. And I have a couple staples that are always in there. Like I always watch Halloween Halloween on Halloween on Halloween. Um, uh, last year we got to go to Baxter at midnight, did a showing of Halloween and that's what we did. And it was so fucking cool. I um I'm also very happy that uh I think not last year but the year before I introduced you to Eyes Without a Face. Yes. And now you have asked me like every that one's that one's By the way, list. like that is one of my top horror movies. It's so good. Yeah. Um, and it, it goes into the surgical horror thing yeah. too, which why well, one of the reasons <laughs> why cuz my favorite horror movies are the ones that actually scare me. Yeah. Um but I I always try to pull in a couple um like four or five that I've never seen before and um, and I've been pulling from that 101 because I'm also trying to work my way through all of those 101 movies. And one of them was Hour of the Wolf. And I actually didn't read the, or I had read the entry because I've read the whole book. Uh, I read the entry, but I, it'd been so long since I'd read it that I forgot what it even said about the movie. And I went, Hour of the Wolf, cool, werewolf movie. Um, Our Probably of the not. Wolf is not a werewolf movie. Yeah. And I, I, I went into the movie convinced it was a werewolf movie. And just the whole time I'm like, but where are the werewolves? <laughs> like, and werewolf? Like, yeah. <laughs> werewolf. It's a psychological thriller. 
So, um, this is not related to anything. We've really gotten off track. But um, Hour of the Wolf is a very good movie, but it is not a werewolf movie. Um, so, that's that's all I've got for this episode. Like I said, I, I think it's it's fine. Like, as far as Monster of the Weeks go, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's certainly not the worst. But it's also just kind of a middle of the road yeah. for me. Um... Yeah, any any last thoughts from you, Jason? Not really. Just kind of like a two and a half Krispy Kreme donuts. Mm-hmm. Two and a half eye suckers. <laughs> All right, well, take us out, Jason. All right, thank you for joining us on Booze and Buffy. We'll be back next week with I Only Have Eyes for You and my best friend uh, Ben Gerhart will be joining us yeah. for that because he loves the crap out of that episode. It's such a good episode. It is. It's also, it, you listeners, you may recall... Uh, this was his uh, consolation episode <laughs> for uh, for for being on Inca Mummy Girl. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm Harrison. You can find me on Instagram at Harrison Alexander Kaufman and on Twitter at Harrison Kaufman. That's C O F F M A N. And I'm Jason. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Yami J three five seven Y A M I J Y three five seven three five seven. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram. And Twitter, the Holy Trinity, <laughs> at Booze and Buffy. Uh, that's uh, and spelled out. Or you can email us at boozeandbuffy at gmail.com. And we're allowed to make that Holy Trinity joke because we were raised Catholic. I lapsed Catholic. <laughs> you can also find us on YouTube where we will release a short video with each episode where we will discuss spoilers that we can't talk about on the podcast. Also, Don't forget to subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I specifically get them from Spotify or Spoofy. (laughs) Each week we like to give a shout out to a worthy charity or nonprofit. Uh, This week we're going to be highlighting the Norton Children's Hospital Foundation. This is a very local uh, to Louisville. So I also just uh, encourage you to... Reach out to any children's hospital. Yeah, if you're not a if you're not a if you're not a resident of the Louisville area or LA as we call it, Uh, the Norton Children's Hospital Foundation is the philanthropic arm for Norton Children's Hospital, Kentucky's only full service freestanding hospital created quote just for kids. The Norton Children's Hospital Foundation raises funds exclusively for Norton Children's Hospital and its sister facilities to provide equipment new technologies, clinical research, child advocacy, and health education for patients, family, and medical staff, and the community. Uh, Visit uh, nortonchildrens.com forward slash foundation for more information. And just on a personal note, um, my, growing up, my little brother had really, really bad asthma and uh, spent a lot of time, like, his asthma was so bad, he would have, like, we'd have to take him to the hospital. He'd have like 3 a.m. asthma attacks that we would send him to the hospital. Um, and, you know, uh, Norton's Children's Hospital is where he went. So, you know, I have a bit of a personal connection because these people saved my brother's life a lot. Rock so, on, Norton. Um, you know, obviously, sometimes we pick these based on the episode topic. And we did again this week. Yep. But there's a bit of a personal connection there as well. So, uh, anyway, um, until next time, go slay and be gay. Hooray! (laughs) Bye. Bye.